I'm Dr. Oren Smith, Senior Fellow at Palmetto Promise Institute in South Carolina, and this is the Beyond Policy Podcast. We hope you'll subscribe to the pod and listen regularly as we think deeply about which policies have the potential to put the well-being of South Carolinians first. Thanks for tuning in to Beyond Policy, and now, on to the show. Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Beyond Policy, the official podcast of Palmetto Promise Institute. We have a very special guest today, and that is the new CEO of Palmetto Promise, uh, Wendy Dameron, who's uh, joining us and look forward to having a conversation with her. So welcome, everyone, and welcome, uh, Wendy. Glad to have you with us. Well, hello, everyone. Hello, Oren. I am beyond excited to be beyond policy with Oren Smith, Dr. Oren Smith. Uh, I've been a fan of the podcast, and um, I'm just excited to be a guest. So thanks for having me. Yes, yes, you're welcome. Well, I wanted to use this as an opportunity to introduce folks all over the state from the 864 and the 803 and the 843 uh, to you for folks that don't uh, know you already. Uh, and to do that, I thought maybe we might do, a, you know, I don't know, there's a show from many, many years ago, many decades ago called uh, This Is Your Life. And they would have um, have someone come out on stage and, and then secretly they would have all of their family and friends who would be, who would be backstage and somebody would, you know, uh, Uncle Johnny from, you know, they would, come out and, and talk <laughs> about the person who was being honored that day. So, um, yes, welcome. This is your life, Wendy Dameron. Uh, tell us, uh, I guess, start about your uh, life uh, in, uh, in, the, in, in the Northeast, in the Midwest. Uh, it, it sounds like just from the conversations that we've had that you, you were not born into the manor. You were not to the manor born. You were not... Um, <laughs> born into the lap of luxury and you didn't have an upstairs maid and a downstairs maid and, and, a, and a chauffeur uh, there. So tell us about your your life your, from the early years. Sure. Um, well, uh, like most people, um, I have, I would just say that I've been able to live the American dream and that is um, I grew up um, right there in Detroit, um, and in a tiny little 1,000 square foot brick ranch with my brothers and uh, my parents, and uh, you know, I it wasn't a great place to be, but I was motivated, very motivated to uh, to to get out. So um, the one great thing that that we had always in our in our home was we always had books. So even though the schools that I had an opportunity to attend were not wonderful, um, there was always an emphasis in my parents' home about getting an education, how the importance of it. And we always had a lot of books around. And so I spent a lot of time reading books growing up and um, thinking about what it is that I needed to do so that my children did not have to grow up where I grew up. Um, yeah. And so, so I, um, I got my first job when I was nine years old, delivering the, uh, the Redford Observer, uh, newspaper and, a daily, uh, and a daily or a weekly, no, no, twice a week, twice a week. Oh, and then yeah, of course, yeah. uh, 
then the, the collect. Of course, no one's ever home when you go to collect. Uh, so anyways, um, from there, I actually had my first business cards at 11 because I wanted to, you know, be a, a babysitter. So I had my babysitter business cards that I put in all my neighbors' mailboxes. And, uh, and there you go. That's me. Um, I just, uh, had my whole goal in my life was how to get out of there. And, and with a lot of hard work, a lot of studying, um, I was able to do that. So I, um, I ended up at the U University of Michigan and uh, met my husband there. I uh, graduated with a degree in business and um, uh, got as as 20 year old started as an intern at Ernst & Young in Detroit. Uh, that was terrifying. Um, I uh, had never done anything other than my own 1040 EZ. And the first day in the tax department, they gave me a corporate tax return and they said, here you go, do it. Wow. <laughs> and uh, yeah. so I, you know, I, I sort of slowly started doing it. And I remember to this day, I remember one of the senior people came by and they said, are you making a career out of that return? <laughs> and I went, oh my gosh, uh, I need to do better. You know, so I did. But anyway, I ended up being, uh, they ended up liking me there and they kept me on. And so I worked there while completing my degree. And, um, and then eventually well, I wanted to, um, I wanted to married my husband after graduation. I, I wanted to rewind yeah. a little bit if I could. So are there any, are there any sure. existing business cards? Do you have any of your original babysitter business cards? You know what? I don't think so. Maybe I'll have yeah. to dig for that. Yeah. Yeah. I was yes. just wondering you know, just, for, <laughs> just for posterity, if any of those were preserved. Um, but I, I, I'm already thinking, you know, you, you really, you really were driven from a pretty early age. So you were, you were driven to, to be a babysitting entrepreneur. And, uh, I, I assume when you went to the university of Michigan, you, you probably had some scholarships, but probably I'm guessing involved, involved some work as well. you know, kind of attempting to work your way through. Is that kind of how you got? Got through college? Yes. Yeah. So I worked, you name it, I did it, retail, uh, you know, food and bev. I did all that stuff. And then when I when I got my internship in my junior year, I, I thought I had struck gold because I think I was making like $4.25 an hour. And then I jumped up to $12.50 an hour and then time and a half overtime. And I was working a hundred hours a week. So I was really raking in the dough. And oh, so yeah. from that, yeah, I was able to pay my tuition. And graduate actually debt free, and of course, back then you know it wasn't as expensive as it is now. So it's yeah, gone up exponentially. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, you can't. Well, at least in South Carolina, unless you have lots of um, lots of grants, uh, either for academic uh, excellence or uh, or need based grants, it's just very difficult to work your way through college anymore. It's just almost impossible. That's why we have an enormous percentage of South Carolinians, you know, on the job application or any application you fill out, there's always that little box that says some college. And I always thought for the longest time, you know, most people, but probably not a whole lot of people that check that because either somebody has, you know, they started college and they said, you know, this is, I've got to get this degree. Otherwise, what value is college to me? But we have an enormous 
number, uh, percentage of South Carolinians who check that box some college. And uh, I think one of the goals of, of higher education in South Carolina probably is going to be to uh, figure out a way to get more of those folks. to And some of them really close, you know, a semester away, a, a class away from getting a, a baccalaureate degree. So that this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but that's something that we're uh, probably probably need to work on and clearly need to work on in South Carolina. And maybe maybe the, the source of a future research project for Palmetto uh, Promise Institute. But anyway, back to this is your life. Um, so you you worked you work your way through college, which uh, just makes that college degree and walking across that stage even more meaningful, I'm sure, you know, for you. And you walked across and knowing, you know, you did it uh, academically, but you did it financially and personally. That must have been a great sense of accomplishment. Yes, yes. I, um, I, I just say that I, I, I noticed that when I was growing up, there were, it, amongst my peers, there were sort of two attitudes. Um, when you would, to me, anyone who had a second floor on their house was rich, you know, in my mind. Um, so when I would drive by and I would see a big house, I would say to myself, what do I need to do to get there? Um, whereas other people that I knew would say, well, it's their fault that I'm in my position. And they sort of had a feeling of they were stuck and there was nothing that they could do and it was somebody else's fault. And I think the people who had that attitude were people that truly were stuck. Um, and the people who who sort of looked inward and thought, let me make a plan. What what can I do to change my circumstance? Those are the people that really were able to, to get out and move on. And so I just try to always maintain that attitude of what, what can I do? No, I'm not starting in the same place as some other people, but I can end up wherever I choose to end up if I if I put my mind to it, if I if I work hard. And I had to forego a lot of things. I didn't join a sorority, I didn't party, I didn't yeah. drink, I didn't use dry, I, I had to forego a lot of things. That a lot of my peers were doing, and you know, I I missed out probably on a lot of things like that. But um, but I just uh, I was okay with it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I have kind of a I have kind of a, a funny story that I like to tell. It's a little bit embarrassing, but um, everyone that I worked with, you know, was from the fancy areas, you know, Gross Gross Point and West Bloomfield and everything. So anyway, I go out to my first lunch uh formal lunch um business lunch at in in a very fancy restaurant in downtown Detroit and um it's the classic story you know with all the forks and all that well we never went out to eat we literally just right. never went out to eat in our family so yeah, um we, we I didn't did not know yeah I, I thought the only lettuce was iceberg lettuce I didn't know there was other kinds of lettuce so when they brought the salad and it was I was horrified I thought they had picked leaves off trees and put them on my plate and I didn't want to eat it, but I looked around and everybody else was fine with it and they were eating it. So I ate it. And then actually I was like, actually this tastes pretty good. But that was my first thought was, Oh my gosh, what did they do? Go out, go out and pick some leaves off trees oh, because I didn't know yeah. there was anything other than iceberg lettuce uh, in the oh, world. Boy. So yeah. uh, things have changed. Uh, my, my yeah. horizons have, have, have been broadened, expanded yeah. since then. Yeah. Well, yes, yes. A, a, as you know, after working with me for two months now, 
Uh, everything reminds me of a South Carolina historical story. But um, one of the greatest baseball yes. players ever uh, was from South Carolina, Shoeless Joe Jackson. And Shoeless Joe Jackson was a native of Greenville, and he played in the Mill Leagues. And um, But he he was dirt poor. I mean, just came from extreme poverty. Um, but he was a great baseball player and immediately, well, shoeless because he thought he could run around the bases faster and better without his shoes. But because of that, he was, he was made fun of everywhere he went when he played for Chicago. And, uh, again, very similar to your experience. There was this fancy dinner in uh, Chicago and, and all of his buddies on the baseball team, you say buddies, but. They uh, they love to pull tricks on him, particularly things that involved his not being very sophisticated. So uh, at one point, they convinced him that the little bowl that was at each place setting to kind of moisten your fingers to make sure your your fingers were were clean that that was a that was an extra drink, and that he was supposed oh. to drink out of it. So you know, of course, he fell for it. Everybody laughs at him and. So he's constantly being teased for not knowing even the most basic things about life in middle class uh, or upper class uh, society. But uh, he came out of that and became a great a great baseball player and uh, kind of had the last laugh, I think, uh, in most ways. But um, yes, yeah, so you are you are uh, working your way through through uh, University of Michigan. You get that degree. You really understand the value of it. And then uh, Ernst and Young, and you're. It, seemed, it sounded like you uh, you climbed the ladder pretty quickly at at Ernst and Young. Kind of tell us about your Ernst and Young experiences, uh, in addition to the longest ever tax return. <laughs> well, uh, they kept me on as an intern, like I said. So I did the last two years of college um, while being employed there, and then of course they. Was great because they they just offered me a job. So while while a lot of my friends were still wondering where they were going to be working after graduation, I already knew that I had a job waiting for me. Um, and then um, my husband and I got married shortly after graduation, and he actually uh, got a job to work uh, a job offer to work for. I guess I can say it now because it's been so long for the NSA. So um, back then we couldn't tell anybody. We worked for the Department of Defense. That's all we could say. Yes. Um, and so wow. we made a decision to move to the Baltimore area. So thankfully, I was able to transfer from from Detroit to Baltimore office of Ernst and Young. And so spent a we lived there for um, eight years uh, while he he worked he spent four years with the NSA and um, then left to go to a tech startup. Um, and I actually left Ernst & Young after my children, my children were born in Maryland and um, I no longer wanted to go months at a time without seeing them during tax season. It just oh, got to be wow. a little bit hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. I miss them terribly. And so um, I decided to just come step out and just start my own practice with um, so that I could limit the number of, of uh, clients and, uh, you know, sort of have my busy season and uh, just still be able to see my children while they're awake. 
Yeah, so, yeah, right. That worked out really well. That worked out really well, and so I did that for many years. Actually, still have, still up until this point, had many of those clients for for many many years, and um, then uh, we at some point just decided, you know what, we want to be back in Michigan. Yeah. That's where our families are. That's where my brothers were having their children. We wanted um, the cousins to all be together. So um, in order to to be able to move back there, um, in, in that time, especially in the Detroit area, if you were not working for the auto company or for a supplier to an auto company, um, there really wasn't a lot for you in my husband's field, which is tech. So um, we decided that if we were going to do that, um, we were going to start uh, a, a, our own company. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, he and some other, yes, he and some other partners started um, and it basically, you know, internet security company. And so we did that and uh, we sold that back in 2013. And at that time we decided, you know, why do we live in Michigan? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, you know, my brothers had moved out. Uh, so the, when the economy tanked in like 2010, it tanked really bad in Detroit. I mean, the auto industry, when the auto industry goes down, everything goes down. Both yeah. of my brothers moved out of the state with their families for jobs. And so we kind of said to ourselves, we really don't like it here. Um, and we can live anywhere because we both have been working from home since 2005. And so we said to ourselves, where do we want to live? We can live anywhere we want. And uh, we landed in Charleston, thankfully. Yeah. And, you know, uh, this is, uh, loved it. this is an issue, you know, those of us who trace our ancestry back to uh, the Battle of Cowpens and Kings Mountain, uh, we always have, hmm, yeah, we don't understand why anybody would want to live in Michigan either. Um, <laughs> uh, just, uh, but, but, but. South Carolina, as as we just reported in our new publication, uh, facts, uh, fiscal facts, uh, South Carolina is number four in the country for places that people are moving into. And wow, the metropolitan area. I was uh, speaking to a group of uh, concerned citizens um, uh, and conservatives uh, just last evening uh, in the uh, Dorchester County area near near Somerville. And uh, it was a it was been a while since I had because, you know, a lot of times, unfortunately, if you're going to the low country, uh, you're going to only Charleston. You're not stopping along the way at uh, some some of the places that are adjacent to Charleston. Uh, and that happens in the upstate and in Columbia as well. Uh, so you miss out in, on some of those areas. But I was I was really amazed and impressed with Somerville, how much Dorchester County has grown. Uh, and just uh, new construction like mad. Of course, I don't know that there's much space left uh, anywhere in Greenville County and Spartanburg County. When Boiling Springs is booming, uh, you know you've kind of reached the reached the uh, the extreme areas there of the county. Thank goodness. But um, so uh, I'm I'm really really interested because we haven't really talked about this a lot, but. Um, there are, there are 49 other states besides Michigan, and somehow, somehow South Carolina was the one you settled on. I mean, how did you how did you narrow it down, and what were some of your top your top ten or top five? You remember 
during that period, kind of what what you were looking for and that type of thing? Absolutely. So um, when you are in a blue state, and, and I know that, you know, some people listening to this will, will be able to relate to this. Um, yeah. There's sort of a, there's sort of a hopeless feeling that you don't even, you don't even realize you have it until you hear some other people from another state talking. So um, it's like you, you you sort of know that there's really nothing you can really do in your own state. So you, you kind of look to Washington and every now and then you, you think, okay, well, something good is happening in Washington. So that gives me a little hope. But when, when there's nothing good happening in Washington and there's nothing good happening in your state, it's just, it's kind of a depressing feeling. And so I'll go all the way back to that internship I had at Ernst & Young. There was a young lady there um, from Charleston. And we're, we're, I don't want to give away my age, but we're talking about this was like, you know, the, let's just say the mid 90s. And she, poor girl, had come from Charleston to Detroit in January. Okay. So um, huh. she, from she, Charleston to Detroit. Okay. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah. And, and I can't remember the circumstances why she would ever do that. But she, I remember she would just not shut up about South Carolina and Charleston and how much she loved it. And all this. And, and I was just thinking to myself, guilty of that too. I was just thinking, oh, come on. Oh, please. Like, it just can't be that great. Well, you know, here I am. I'm 20 years old and I never left Detroit. So what, what do I know? Right. And I, this is the only thing I know. And I, and I don't, I don't understand that there's this land of the free <laughs> elsewhere in the, in the country. Um, and so I remember sort of being annoyed by that. But when I look back on that now, I think, oh, my gosh, this poor girl. I just want to give her a hug and say, I, I understand, you know, go back, go back. But um, I don't I lost touch with her. I can't remember her name anymore. I don't I don't know whatever happened to her. I hope she came back to South Carolina. If you're her and you're listening to this, call me. Um, yes, yes. Well, she served her purpose and that was to expose you to the glories of South Carolina. Yeah, yes. And and so then uh, I'll go back a little bit in time and I'm listening to um, a Barack Obama give the State of the Union. I think you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. I hear uh, someone from the crowd say, you lie. And I went, who is that? Where is he from? These are my people. And, uh, and for, oh, well, that, that's, that's Joe Wilson. He's from South Carolina. So South Carolina. Okay. I, I like this. I like this. So then, uh, my husband and I had gotten involved. We were, had been donors to Heritage Foundation and we had been at Heritage Foundation event. And we heard Nikki Haley talking about just talking in ways that I'd never heard a governor in Michigan or Maryland talk. Just talk about freedom. Just talk about, you know, lowering taxes and talking about being pro-life and just all these things that were just, you know, the, the skies were opening and and rainbows were coming in. And I just couldn't even, I just, I couldn't wrap my brain around it. And and I know that, you know, not everybody in South Carolina loves Nikki Haley. And, and, and I know that, you know, rhetoric doesn't always match, you know, action and all that, but just, just to hear a politician talk that way was just, you know, a revelation, honestly. So right, right, when we yeah. were coming to, to look, it's like, okay, we're putting South Carolina has got to be on our list of places to go. And um, 
a lot of it was, you know, I'm a Michigan girl, so I want to, every Michigan girl longs to be at the beach. And I, I every, think I've sensed that. Every Ohio yes, girl yes. too. Yes, absolutely. And, and I wanted to be near a city I could love because having worked in Detroit and Baltimore, you know, you can imagine um, it's not that great. So um, wanted to be near a city I could love. And, and we came down, visited Charleston and just fell in love with Charleston. And, and so um, I said, I never want to shovel snow again. I've had enough of that in my life. And it has snowed one time since we've been down here enough that we could have shoveled, but we didn't own a shovel. So everybody just stayed in for five days and that was fine. Hopefully that never happens. Wow. Wow. Yes. Well, I think, um, and, and you started with your experience hearing about Charleston, hearing about South Carolina, uh, and then you went to the weather next. Uh, so uh, I, I hope that people understand when, when they have the uh, warm feelings about South Carolina, the fact that we have lo uh, lots of marvelous beaches of all types and uh, of all types of interest, depending on what type of a beach you're looking for, that, um, you know, it's not just sunshine and, and mountains and, and the beach and good barbecue. I mean, South Carolina is, is deeper than that. And it really is um, an embracing of, of freedom and independence and uh, not really uh, not really looking to government for a lot of solutions. Uh, that's kind of been in our DNA for a long time, I think. So um, those those of us who many well a few years ago thought, oh dear, we're being overrun with uh, moving vans uh, from people from uh, Ohio and the Midwest and places places like that um, who think that they have good football. Um, <laughs> So we're 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 worried about that a little bit. Or is it going to change South Carolina? But you know, I, this is not very sophisticated as far as the uh, the uh, sample size or the sampling method. But um, judging from that event I attended last night, where most of the people in the room were born somewhere else, uh, I just really got a sense that people were coming here because they were attracted to our values, not that they were trying to bring alien or very blue state type of values about government and, and the role of government. They weren't trying to bring that that with them. Now, uh, a lot of them complained that we don't know how to drive. I know I've never heard that before, uh, but <laughs> most people are adopting the the sort of independence and freedom and and conservative free market values that we value here in South Carolina. So you're, you're a perfect example of that. You came here, uh, you were not born here, but you got here as quickly as you could. A hundred percent. And I would never, never dream of leaving. I, we just, we just love it so much. I am sort of a history nerd and um, th there's so much history in South Carolina and Charleston, just Charleston alone and just all over the state. Which is why I love talking to you, Warren, because you're a fellow history nerd and you know everything about South Carolina. So uh, it's just, you know, you can go to California and get good weather, but that's that's no, that that's just a. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's a non-starter. You know, it, it's not just the weather. It's not just the beach. It's not it's, it's the people. It's the culture. And it's just this. I, I just, you know, I, in, in in Michigan, it's like. 
it's like Republicans, in at least in my area, the, the other side of the state, the Western side is more conservative, but Detroit, Ann Arbor area, it's like, you're almost like a secret society. You know, you almost have to sort of whisper, you almost have to have like a, a secret, you know, hand signal or something. Yeah. And, and yeah. I, and when I, whenever I would say something conservative, sometimes, you know, people would say, I didn't know you were Republican, you know. I just don't, I'm not sure I can be friends with you anymore. And I'm just like, oh, well, wow. okay, you know, <laughs> but so it, it, when I came down here and it was like, there's Republicans women lunch and there's this and there's that group and that group and that group to go to. And it was just like, wow, this is amazing. You know, I, yeah. these are, you know, it, it's just the greatest thing. And so, um, you know, I think I went through that little naive period of this is South Carolina. So we should just be able to get everything conservative done like this. Right, you know, right, yeah. um, and because I didn't really understand fully how state government worked because I there was no point in really being engaged in Michigan or Maryland, for that case, in state government. Um, you know, it took me a little while to really understand the process and and understand that it is frustrating. Um, we should be able to get yes, we should be able to get things done, but there's a process that has to be gone through and. And, um, you know, there's, there's potential here. There, there's so much potential here that there isn't in so many other places. And I never take that for granted. And I have yeah. so much hope for all the great things that Palmetto Promise is trying to get done. And I have so yes. much hope for the progress we've seen. And, wow. and so this my, is where we, uh, yeah. this is where we bring in your, your relationship with Palmetto Promise, because yes. after you'd lived here for a while, you were involved in various conservative uh, efforts, and uh, you'd heard about this organization called uh, Palmetto Promise, and you were you were invited to join the board. I mean, pretty quickly. Yes, yes, that that was very exciting because, um, of course, absolutely love Alan, and I loved everything you guys were doing. I love that you know you're taking. I say you. I should say us now, right? Um, yes. We were we are taking the potential that we have in South Carolina and really trying to harness that and 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 just make it happen. It, it, there's so much about policy. There's intention, but um, you sometimes you can have the best of intention, but if you don't do it right, it's it's not going to work because you'll right. have unintended consequences or you'll have it killed in the court, or it just won't be as effective as you want, or someone will try to find a loophole around it like they do, you know? Um, and so yeah. you have to have the good intention, but you have to have the good, the good, you have to have the right, the facts, you have to have the right research, you have to have the right policy to make it actually work. And so I love that Palmetto Promise is there to harness that potential and get it moving in the right direction. And, and I, had the the privilege of getting to know so many of our legislators and our state legislators and so many of them want to do the right thing they, they just really want to serve their constituents they share our values but um you know they don't have staff right they yeah have yeah what they don't they, they have full-time jobs most of them this is a three days a week you know four or five months out of the year and uh they have families they have a they don't have time to do the type of research that we are doing. Right. They don't have the time to, to dive deep into each and every issue. And, and we all know that they're 
desks are stacked high with with issues and, and there's a limited amount of time to, to do all that. And so if we can come along and provide them with the information that they need, that that is just a crucial function to getting the right things done in a timely manner. Yeah. Well, so. that was, yeah, that was our probably when we were forming Palmetto Promise Institute 10 years ago, we were, that was probably our number one selling point. We said, you know, People may not realize this, but legislators don't have a lot of staff. And uh, sometimes, um, well, sometimes organizational inertia can settle in with any with any government and any uh, any staff and any government. So sometimes ideas that are a little bit different, something we haven't tried before, uh, sometimes they don't they're not as popular uh, amongst those who are. are, are the administrators of, of government and those that are staffing the legislature. So sometimes uh, it involves um, looking at other states, see what's working in other states, see what may be working in other states, but really wouldn't be a good fit for South Carolina. Uh, and then thinking through uh, what what the priorities should be because they have different levels of, uh, of priority depending on uh, what what we used to call in political science the policy stream, you know, there's a, a stream of policy that sort of is flowing, and some things are able to make it into the stream and continue through the process, and other things are not. Uh, they get diverted off somewhere. So, so uh, making a list, uh, having uh, full confidence in each of the items on the list. Some of it's very elementary. But it's also extremely complicated, particularly when you're trying to do a lot of issues at once. So you you remember those early days because you were you're on the board relatively early in our existence. So you remember some of those battles that we fought early on. And um, we've 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 chosen to uh, do a remembrance of our our what we think are our top 10 um, successes, our top 10 uh accomplishments for the first 10 years and we've been going through those on our social media uh but also have posted a a list of our top 10 so uh and that was your idea to do so we thank you for 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 that uh so that we're able to get the word out about what we've done and then what we want to do but um as you have now settled in to the to the leadership the CEO position of Palmetto Promise Institute here. Probably, I guess it's been about two months. We're probably at the 60 or 70 day level, I think, with your uh, leadership at Palmetto uh, uh, Promise. Um, anything that that strikes you during these first 60 or 70 days right off that, you, uh, that you've been surprised about or that you have had maybe... Um, reconfirmed from what you thought as a board member. Just curious what your thoughts are on your first 70 days as far as how you've experienced it and how you view it. Uh, It has been amazing. Uh, You know, what has been so fun for me, Oren, is getting to work with you, getting getting to go to the state house with you and watch you work because... um, I love to say this. I've said it a million times now, Orrin, but um, Orrin knows everybody in Columbia. 
And he's known everybody in Columbia since 1985. So uh, we'll just be driving down the street together and he'll say, oh, there's so-and-so walking across the street. You know, he and I went to uh, high school together or uh, this guy was, you know, my college roommate's best friend or I know this person's parents or uh, he knows everybody and everybody in in Columbia respects Oren. And I love to watch him work because Oren knows everything about everything. So um, anytime there's an issue, uh, if he doesn't know the answer, he knows how to find it pretty fast. So anytime there's an issue um, that's coming up and usually it's something that we've been working on. And by the way, I'm really excited about some of the issues that we've been working on for a few years now, talking about things not necessarily happening as quickly as we like, but but we, we've stuck with it. And um, repeal of certificate of need is so important, um, especially for those areas that you're talking about, like Somerville, where it's growing so fast and yeah. the medical facilities are not growing fast enough to meet the need. Um, that's happening down here in, in my area as well. Um, things like that and, and education savings accounts and things that, you know, I know we've been talking about for years and dreaming of for years are coming to fruition now. And as those legislators are in there making their arguments, we're, you know, they're reaching out to you, Orrin, and saying, how do I, you know, how, what's the best way to answer this question? Or can you tell me, you know, the, can you give me the numbers on this? Or I've watched you testify in these hearings and, and they're going to you for, those expert opinions and, and, and delving into your research. And you have a book, a binder, this big, <laughs> full of just, Where you know, the binder? It's here somewhere. just facts, facts, facts on just on ESAs, I think. It's just ESA facts. And it's like a binder this thick with all anything you ever need to know about ESAs. And uh, and so I just love watching you work. And and um, something else that really struck me, well, first of all, I said to myself, everybody in the whole state needs to know um, what we do, because what I sort of noticed as I've been around and been in down in Charleston and I talk about PPI and people are like, well, what is PPI? What does yeah, PPI do? Right. And I was like, everybody needs to know what we do because, you know, it's so important. So, um, you know, one thing that I have been telling people is that when when I when I've been up at the state house, I see a lot of lobbyists around, you know, and they are there to advocate for their industry, their special interests, whatever that is. And sometimes there we we sync up with them on the issues that we're we're advocating for. And sometimes we don't. And so what I think about is that we are we're not lobbyists. But we're really the people there that are there just to represent all of the citizens of South Carolina and what's best for all of the citizens of South Carolina. And so we're not paid by any special interest or anything like that. We're just there saying, what policy can we help support that will be best for for everybody here in South Carolina? So um, we need that. We our voice is needed there because we are not you know, we're not beholden to any special interest right group who's yeah. there advocating yeah. right yeah it is it is sort of a funny feeling because if um, uh and basically what what we do because we're not registered lobbyists is uh if um an issue is before a committee or a subcommittee or sometimes a full uh senate or full house um legislators have questions 
So often what we've tried to do is to put ourselves in the position that if we find a place to uh, to literally a place to stand in the lobby and uh, just just sometimes, as you said, it requires a binder about that thick of all the, the <laughs> facts about a particular issue. Uh, and if we're just kind of uh, available for their uh, requests and questions, uh, we're literally educating them on what what is going on. Uh, there are lobbyists that that are allied with us and in that they have an interest in something that may we may have an interest in, but our interest is never going to be financial. So when you look out over those vat, that vast crowd in the lobby, if you take out, as you just said, everyone who represents an association or represents some financial is- interest, and many, many times um, uh, it's just the nature of, of government and the nature of the economy, you'll have interests in the lobby where, well, the people that want to turn this policy in favor of this interest, which may be our, a competitor, they have a lobbyist, so we have to have a lobbyist. So you have just really, really weird uh, controversies. Maybe a good example was, was at one point there was a controversy over how sales tax was going to be collected. And you had online uh, sellers that were uh, not collecting or paying sales tax. And they argued, well, you know, we're worldwide. We're not based in South Carolina. We don't, we don't need to collect sales tax. But then you had brick and mortar stores that were selling the same stuff and they were located physically and they had um, uh, a, they, they were charging sales tax and required to do so. So you had an army of lobbyists for the brick and mortars and you had an army of lobbyists for the for the virtuals and they were going at it. And we're kind of watching this saying, you know, we're really we're really not in this fight. We're generally free market. But if you if you remove all the folks that are not uh, or that are lobbying for some special interest or financial interest, and then you remove those uh, who are are uh, principle oriented or or uh, somewhat ideological or have a, a view of the world that's based on a, s- a system of beliefs. You remove all those that are par- are, are are based somewhere else, but have a South Carolina affiliate. Now the now the circle is getting even smaller. So then you're down to very few groups that just were founded in South Carolina, based in South Carolina. Uh, the way that they uh, exist is to get other South Carolinians to make contributions to support those free market efforts. Uh, I always thought, wouldn't it be marvelous if there were a foundation? that supported Palmetto Promise Institute. And that foundation had this large corpus of millions of dollars. And then the interest from that corpus uh, were to be uh, generated and then sent to the organization. And then that would be the operating budget, the interest on some uh, large pool of, of money by some foundation. But um, but but then I, I thought, you know, 
you're so much more accountable when you have to go out and earn your wings every day, when you have to make uh, payrolls and you have to have enough people in the state that believe in what you're doing to invest in your work. So this has become your uh, prime uh, position and work and job at Palmetto Promise, and that is to uh, spread the word about our work so that individual South Carolinians can can kind of put us in their family budget. It's one thing to be in a foundation budget or the state house budget, but being in a family or a business's budget so that there's a line item for Palmetto Promise Institute so that they can support our work. That's uh that's really powerful to know that real honest to goodness South Carolina people and businesses are the ones that are making your work and your influence that you're projecting into the electoral and governmental system possible. So how how has how has your work in that area gone? What do you think about the uh, future prospects for for Palmetto Promise Institute? Do you think that we should grow uh, to a larger staff, uh, or do you think we are kind of where we need to be? Um, we've talked about this internally, of course, but here for everyone, maybe your thoughts on the future of Palmetto Promise Institute. Oh, absolutely. I I. I want to see us grow. I mean, we there's there's so many more issues. I know you have a wish list, Orin, of issues that you would like to to cover, and and every year new things come up. I mean, we didn't we never predicted COVID and and the types of issues that were going to come out of COVID with vaccine passports and all these things. You just never know what's going to come up, and 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 so yes, absolutely, I would love to grow, and and we are strategically located right across from the campus of, of the University of South Carolina and just, you know, five or six blocks from the Capitol. And so what I would really love to do is have a really vibrant intern program because I just love the idea of giving those conservative college students an outlet to, to learn and grow and, and network in the Capitol, I mean, for someone to be able to shadow you, like I said, you've known every since 1985, to have somebody able to shadow you and have you introducing them to all the, the players there in Columbia and to walking them through the process of how things really work there. Um, I think just such a valuable experience. And we really knew, need to be training up and encouraging the next generation of conservatives in South Carolina and of course across the country. And I think we are perfectly positioned to do that. And so that is something that is a big goal of mine. I would love to have a really vibrant internship program going. And then of course as well, just add more just general staff, more researchers and, and policy people to help you Orin, and so that we could just do even more. I mean, there's, there's so much more we could be doing at this point. Right, so. right. Yes. Yeah, you know, um I, I you really reawakened the the idea of a robust internship program at Palmetto Promise. We have uh we've had really good success with um uh, interns that were just uh and, and different from one another. Uh, every every intern we've had has not been exactly 
the same. Uh, just to speak very generally, we have one of our former interns who is completing his Master of Public Policy degree uh, at um, uh, in in Malibu, California. I guess somebody has to do it uh, <laughs> at Pe- Pepperdine University, very renowned public policy school there at Pepperdine. And then we have uh, another former intern who went on to get his law degree, had a stellar career as a student, and now is uh, uh, an associate in a, in a prominent uh, law firm and is doing with that law firm the work that's very consistent with what Pamela Promise is all about. But, um, uh, you know, there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of negativity, I think, about these young people today. But Wow, that we we maybe we're just in some kind of uh, rarefied air where we we're able to work with just some amazing young 20, 20 and twenty one year olds, uh, maybe even a nineteen year old thrown in there that um, have have a just great uh, ideas uh, and um, just just think outside the box and think to the next step and they're playing, you know, sometimes even they're playing chess and I'm playing checkers. Uh, just, it just amazes me, but it's so wonderful to know that this is a legacy that we can pass on to these, these younger folks who will be here much longer after we're passed on that will be fighting this fight and with such brilliance and, and uh, winsomeness, that's something else. Uh, we've been blessed with interns who just are really just cool people, great people to be around, that you enjoy working with, uh, and have gone on to do great things. So we're looking for the next great uh, future leader and leaders uh, in South Carolina who who are uh, poised to do that. And, and I do think that the on-the-job training that we provide, uh, both in... Um, both in research and um, the the informing and interaction with the public uh, and with legislators, it's a it's a strange set of um, competencies that I think we have. Uh, normally, an organization is not able to do good research, but also have the ability to communicate it in an interesting way to the average person who. Has a has a life that's not connected to politics, uh, or at another level to a legislator who may be very knowledgeable uh, and has a high standard for why uh, why uh, they may be concerned or they want to know more about some policy that we have introduced into the stream that's never been there before. So on a regular basis, and these interns are able to do it. We are switching from talking to a member of the general public, running down some specific fact or uh, or answering a call from a legislator who may be considering introducing a, a bill. So it's, it's a lot of different kinds of talents that, that have to be in one organization. So yes, here's, a, here's another advertisement uh, and a description of kind of what we're looking for and of the program is on our website. So, so if there are folks within the sounds of our voices, that uh, might have a student that would be interested in that. And I, we, we think I'm looking across the street literally here at the University of South Carolina. We are very close to USC, but, uh, you know, that other university 
Uh, see, I have the benefit of having graduated from both, but there may be a student at uh, uh, Clemson, uh, in any of the state or private institutions in South Carolina that may not be physically in Columbia, but they may be able to, to intern with us virtually uh, or may be able to spend a summer with us or something of that nature. So just a long commercial, I'm sorry for my long commercial, but to adding on to Wendy there for this commercial for our internship program. <laughs> well, I was well, just going to say, uh, Orrin, yes. uh, or I was just, just going to say, think I have so much respect for a uh, an outed conservative college student. I mean, I was conservative in college, but, you know, it just, it, it wasn't dangerous. I mean, it, it's, it's almost dangerous now. Um, it's dangerous, um, to your uh, to your reputation, it's it's dangerous to your ability to maybe uh, get work with a professor. You you may feel afraid that you may not get a job, and so the the young people who are conservative, uh, outwardly conservative on campus these days. I mean, you just have to admire their courage, and so I think that's what that's 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 the caliber of of people that that we can get is someone who is just not afraid to be, to be conservative in, in, in this atmosphere. And, and you just right. got to admire that. Yeah. 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 And they're able to do that, but also, you know, to have some um, intellectual basis for their conservatism, which uh, is a, is a unusual combination, but we've, we've hit the goal, hit the, uh, 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 found a gold mine or gold mines uh, here uh, on that. But yes, yes, it is a tough time to be a young uh, conservative, I think, because um, uh, there, there are all these motives that are ascribed to you for being conservative. And, um, you know, the old term, it's, it's an old term now that we use frequently, political correctness, but uh, uh, it, it really is a thing. And, and it's like you can't hold a political position that is not acceptable. But that's fortunately not what we're about in South Carolina. And I've noticed we've had several colleges uh, adopt uh, the uh, Chicago statement to protect uh, the rights of students to express their views on campus and, well, in academic areas as well. Well, any other parting shots that you have, Wendy, for those in the listening to us who may be considering recommending an intern or being a part of Palmetto Promises work or, or just uh, engaging with us as a donor or supporter? Well, I just would say, first of all, thank you for listening to the podcast. Um, if I haven't met you yet, I really want to. Um, I know that a lot of people, um, they know Ellen, they associate Ellen with Palmetto Promise. And, you know, sometimes I have to say, I'm the new Ellen. <laughs> so uh, I would, I, I'm really making a concerted effort to get out there and, and meet as many people as I can. And I would love to meet you um, if I haven't met you yet. And yeah, please spend some time on our website. Uh, there, um, there are so many issues that we've spent, uh, we, Oren, <laughs> has spent so much time Researching is so much good research, so many uh, good policies out there that that really would make South Carolina a better place. And although it's already great, it can be even better. Um, and so please just take some time. And if you think that the work that we're doing is worthwhile, please consider donating to, to help us uh, not only keep doing what we're doing, but help us to do even more. 
Fantastic. What a great close. Thank you very much. <laughs> and uh, that is it for this episode of uh, Beyond Policy. We look forward to uh, future episodes. We've got some great guests uh, already in the can that we're going to be rolling out to you. So we look forward to having you tuning in again soon. And until then, thank you for listening to Beyond Policy from Palmetto Promise Institute. Thank you.